If you don't like your seat, we got some good ones up here. But uh, let's just pray. Lord God in heaven, we want to thank you that we can, we can know those words are true. We can stand in the power of Christ, and the devil himself shudders. And Lord, we, don't, we are more than conquerors through Christ, through him who loved us. And I thank you for that great truth, so that as we leave here later today, we can remember that and not go home and, and to our jobs and our, our daily lives, living, God, with, with unnatural fears and with worries, but that we can give those to you, and together we can bear one another's burdens, as we're going to learn about together today. We can be stronger, God, together than we could ever be individually. So thank you for each one here today, each one that is able to come to this service or the next or the previous. Thank you for each one. Lord, would you bless us today? And it's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Have a seat. Thank you. I was originally planning, excuse me, to start a new series today, and it came to my attention at the last elder meeting that I had not finished studying with you the book of Galatians. I took you through chapter 5, which included the fruit of the Spirit. We had a whole summer-long series in that, but I never got us into chapter 6, and that was just an oversight on my part. I thought, gee, I'm going to get down to business. I want to finish what I started here with you. So this week, I sat down and worked on three different messages uh, for a three-week look at Galatians chapter 6. So we're cracking into that last chapter of that important New Testament letter uh, this morning. And if you remember the summer series, at least in bits and parts, you know that we talked a lot about love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22 and 5.23. Now, the chapter 6 that follows is really, really neat. It connects very clearly to chapter 5. It's the same book, of course, the same letter from the Apostle Paul. And uh, let's look just for a moment at uh, some of the things that we read here. I've got two different Bibles up here. I want to figure out which one to use first. Uh, Chapter 6, of course, makes the most sense if interpreted in light of what was talked about in chapter 5. And so a good rule, of course, of of understanding your Bible is context. Context tells you so much. And if we look at the where we left off with chapter 5 ending, the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace. And then verse 25 of chapter 5 of Galatians, if we live by the Spirit, Paul said, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Why did he say that? Well, here's where he's going with this. If you remember what he talked about in the previous verses where he talked about the fruit of the Spirit, he also talked about the works of the flesh, he called it. Our lower nature, our former nature, which we still have a little bit of even as believers in Christ. He talked about jealousy and dissension and anger and these runaway problems in our lives. And he said, you still have to fight the fight against those things, he said in chapter 5. But you have the Holy Spirit. He said, if you walk by the Spirit in his power and his control, you're going to subdue that old nature. But in the context, the original context, the people to, to, that he's writing to, the real, the real flesh and blood people that he originally wrote to, his original audience, they were having a lot of infighting. And so he's telling them in chapter 5, here's the fruit of the Spirit, here's the works of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5.16 and 5.25. Both those verses they, they're parallel verses. But then he goes on to say, that will help you control the old nature and not live as people 
that are just like the world, like, like people who don't know the Lord. And he ends chapter 5 with saying, let's not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That's what happens when we don't walk by the Spirit. Chapter 6 then, verse 1 and following, is a beautiful positive example of what happens in a Christian church, a Christian faith community, when we are living lives guided by the Spirit of God. Instead of being locked into dissensions and provocations and arguments, not to say we don't have disagreements or frustrations or problems, because that's life. We're not trying to minimize that reality here. Paul's not. I'm not. But we, if we're going to walk under the Spirit's control, we're not only not going to satisfy that old nature, we're not going to feed that old way of life, if you will, and some of those old habits that we have that die hard. We're going to starve them off, and we're going to feed the new habits that God wants to build in us, generosity and forgiveness and love and joy and peace, all, those, all the fruit of the Spirit. And, and he says, if you're really doing that, if you're living by the Spirit, as I've commanded you to do, you're not only not going to provoke each other, the way he ends chapter 5 here, you're not going to be uh, throwing people... Uh, behind you let us not become conceited provoking one another we're not going to live with with a bunch of envy but if we're walking by the spirit as he has told us to do twice now in chapter five we are we're going to live above our lower natures and we're going to help each other the fruit of the spirit starts with love you know love is a many splendored thing i learned growing up it means so many things in american word verbiage you know love i love my wife i I love M&M's, and those are very two different kinds of loves, right? And so when I say, you know, we're called to love, it's very easy for us to treat that as kind of a generic thing. But love in the New Testament, the kind of love that God shows to us through Christ, is agape love. It's self-giving. It's, it's, it's meant to benefit the other. It's sacrificial. That's what Paul's talking about here. And if we're walking under, in the Spirit's control under his guidance, Ephesians, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, is going to start to show forth in our life. And it's, it's not just going to be a concept. Oh, I love people. It's going to show up. It's going to be engaging with you, with other people, in, especially those nearest us. They're going to sense it. They're going to say, gee, there's something's going on in your life. There's a fresh sense of joy about you, of peace, of love. They're going to feel it. The, the proof that you're walking under the Spirit's guidance is that you're not only not fighting and, and, and envying and doing these lower things, the things of the lower nature, but you're engaging people with true love, Christ-like love. And, and that goes beyond warm fuzzies. That goes beyond saying the right thing or a kind thing. It means even helping people in their struggles. Look where he goes here with chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, and it means sisters as well, if anyone is caught in any transgression or sin, the word caught is important. That's what sin does to us. It actually, it actually shackles us, doesn't it? And he's saying, you know, even in the Christian community, that's going to happen. People are going to get caught. They're going to get snared. They're going to get snared. They're going to be dragging something along. And he's saying, if you love each other, you're not only not going to beat each other up, but you're going to lovingly come to each other and help set things right in each other's lives as you're called to do that. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... And we could say, well, what transgression? He's not being specific here. But if you just go back up a few verses to the works of the flesh, you see a lot of bad things there. Could be any of those. Could be anything else. That's, that's a transgression. That's a sin. So he's applying that now. And he's saying, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him 
in a spirit of gentleness. Some commentators wonder if Paul was being sarcastic when he says, you who are spiritual. Was he, was he saying, some of you think you're really spiritual, and so you spiritual ones, you, you should take care of them. I don't believe at all he's being sarcastic. Any Christian has the Spirit of God, so any believer can be Spirit-led and can do the right thing and can obey the Lord and can be spiritual in a difficult situation. So, but if we're, if we're not spiritually minded, we're not going to do the right thing. If we're not living by the Spirit, under the Spirit, we're probably not going to engage each other's problems. We're going to run away. We're going to say, well, that serves her right, what happened to her. He made his bed, he can lie in it now, right? Isn't that just a worldly attitude? That can creep into our thinking as we look at people's problems around us and we go, man, that's messy. I don't want to get involved in that. Gee, look at her addiction. Gee, look at that. And we can just, we can have two wrong reactions. We can be pessimists or critical. We can have that spirit towards people or we can envy them. We can envy maybe somebody's success or doing well in life. We can envy that. That's not a spirit-led attitude. And yet that's, that's how we are. That's our human nature. That's our fallen nature. So Paul is really speaking in really t- to nitty-gritty everyday life here, isn't he? He's really meeting people where they're at, where believers are at. And he says, if anyone's caught in a sin, you are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That shouldn't surprise us that he uses the word gentleness because it's one of the fruit of the Spirit, not harshness. We're not to come alongside each other and you know, hit somebody alongside the head. When are you going to learn? When are you going to get this right? But, you know, as a parent, there's many times that my kids would, would, would come, come clean with me on something. And by the goodness and grace of God, most times I think I've responded, hopefully, in a spirit-led way. Instead of chastening them, instead of jumping down their throat, I thanked them for their honesty. And I said, I'll never punish you for being honest. Even though it might hurt me to hear this or to know this, I'll, I'll never, I'll never you know, make you pay for being honest. Thank you for that. And they were just like wow, I want to live in victory over that. I, I, can, I can go forward in this. I'm not being punished for being, for being open-hearted about a problem. We're to be gentle with each other, aren't we, in our struggles. And then he goes on in verse 2. We're to bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Why would he say that? Does that seem like kind of an odd thing to say here? Again, think of the context here. In Galatians, there were, there, were, there were factions in that church. There were some people who, who thought they were better than others because they didn't do certain things. Some people said, well, we follow the Jewish law plus Christ. And some said, well, we follow Christ, but we don't need the Jewish law. And they were infighting. And remember, we've talked about that in that series. And he's saying, if you think you're too good to help somebody else in their burdens, if you don't believe in burden sharing, or if you just won't get involved in, in helping somebody who's overtaken by a fault, he says, you're conceited. You're conceited. He's speaking to his original audience there, but it has application to us. We should never look at anybody here and say, well, I'm just not getting involved. I'm just not going to pray for him. I'm just not going to do anything because I'm somehow, I'm above that. I would never do that or I've never done that or that can easily be conceit, pride. And Paul says, if that's where you're at, he says, you're nothing. So don't, don't act like that. So he's really being upfront with his, his friends If anyone thinks he is something, verse 3, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And then he says, focus on your work, your own work, but let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, if you're tracking with me here, you might look at verse 5 and verse 2 and say, hmm, that's a contrast. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens. 
Verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. Is the Scripture contradicting itself? Oh, no. I mean, a, a casual reading might lend you, to, lend you to, to that thought, but it's not. I'll give you a metaphor or an analogy of this Scripture. Gives us, this Scripture provides us what I, what I like to call the backpack analogy. You and I have a backpack. Now, it's not, it's not physical. You don't see it, right? But in my backpack are my, is my, really my responsibilities for my life. I'm accountable for my life. To the Lord, I'm accountable. Someday I'll give account for the life I lived in the body and for what I did in this body, whether good or bad. I have a, a high accountability to the king. So do you. And, and, and I'm, I have to hold that backpack, if you will, of responsibility, personal responsibility on my back and go through life. And I've got com- commitments to provide for a family and to, to love a church and to, to work through my own issues and just to be going, you know, holding on to my backpack. But there are still times when I need people to help me bear my burdens. I've had people come up here after a service and say, you've prayed for others. Can I pray for you today? <laughs> I want to weep when that happens because I have needs too. And when they do, I'm just, oh, thank you. I needed that today. Thanks for being my pastor today, I'll say to them. Because they, they help me. Now, they're not taking my backpack off, right? It's not their job to. I can't take your backpack off of you. So I'm called to, to bear a burden with you you're, and you with me, we're called to come alongside each other, but we're not to take, we cannot take away each other's personal responsibilities either before the Lord. I can't live your life for you. You can't live my life for me. You're not called to that. I'm not called to, to do that for you. So we're called to come alongside each other, and that's exactly what he says in verse 2. We're called to love each other enough that we're going to listen to a hurting brother or sister. We're, we're going we're gonna to help somebody who's stuck in a habit that's destroying their life. We're going to love each other enough to say, you know what, I see this problem and I want to help you with this if I can. So we're going to love each other enough to have some of those conversations and and bear one another's burdens, verse 2. But to jump down to verse 5, we still have to be personally responsible for our own lives, as as does everyone else. And so that's how how you should understand that. Verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. I I need to get my slides moving here. You know, there's something greater to be known by than thankfulness, but I want to start the sermon outline with that concept. Randy Alcorn says, thankfulness should draw a clear line between us and a Christless world. Are people around you thankful at the school or job that you have or where you live? Or do you see a lot of thankfulness? We have Thanksgiving coming up in a little over a month, but do we live, do you see a lot of thankfulness? How about among Christians? Are we thankful? If the same spirit of entitlement and ingratitude that characterizes our culture characterizes us, what do we have to offer people who aren't Christians? You know, if we walk through life with just ingratitude and a sense of everybody owes me, and, and does that radiate Jesus? No. But there's something even greater to be known by than thankfulness, and you know what it is, right? Somebody say the word. Don't be shy, I can't hear you. I know you don't have a mic, but love, yes. Christians are to be known not just by being grateful and thankful, but by our love, friends, by our love. Jesus told his first disciples in the book of John, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. 1 Corinthians 13.2, the apostle Paul wrote to a church, the church of Corinth, that was very divided, very factionalized, and he said, you know, some of you got great gifts here. He says, boy, he says, I got gifts too. He said, if I speak with the tongues of angels, if I can decode prophecies and tell all mysteries to people, 
if I can move mountains with, with the faith I have. But if I have not love, I am nothing. And so that shouldn't be lacking from, from our lives. If we're going to radiate Jesus to the world, love's got to be an ingredient, right? It's the first fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. So we want to be known by this. We want to be known by our love. And yet, the, the, the hard truth, the honest truth, is, is that it's easy to fight. It's easy to, to be unloving. It's easy to argue. It's easy to get stuck in habits that are anything but love, even here in the church. Here's a question for you. Has anybody around here provoked you lately? <laughs> if they haven't, just hang on, it'll happen. <laughs> Not that we wanted to be doing that to each other, but you know, we, we misunderstand our, each other at times. We don't say the right thing, or we don't say what's things that we should say, and we miss the mark. And in church life, we can provoke one another. I hate to say it, but it's true. It's been many years since I've seen it, but I've seen people in this church family leave it because they felt provoked, and we weren't able to get them back. So what do you do when you feel provoked, when you feel offended, when you feel frustrated, and then you hear a message that you're called to love? Well, hopefully you realize that the way to love isn't just to work that up in yourself, but it's to follow the Spirit. Uh, Galatians 5.16, 5.25, live by the Spirit, live your life submitted to Him, and then you, you take the, the rest of this to heart, and you realize we need to help each other along this path here. There's often value in disagreement. Don't hear me saying today that we can never have disagreements, because I would never say that. But in some cases, disagreements can really breed danger. And the Apostle Paul told the Romans and the Corinthians, work together. Have your dissension for a moment. Figure it out, but then come back together. Keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Very important. Romans 15, 7, accept one another then. Accept one another. Don't reject each other. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So a church, and I'm not making a statement here, so I'm going to be real clear, but let me say this first. A church known for infighting is not producing an abundance of mature believers. Now, if you're new here, you might be saying, whoa, is that what you're saying about this church? I'm not saying that at all, but yay God, I'm not saying that at all. I don't believe we're a church that's full of infighting. I know, I know that's not true, but that doesn't mean that there's no temptation to do that or tendencies to do that within our own lives or, or, or that there's no conflict. I'm not saying that there's no, never conflict. But if we don't want to be known by that. We don't want to be known. We don't want to become known as a church that can't work together, get along, because then we're way off mission and we're a bad witness for Jesus, my friends. And we're ignoring this word from Galatians. Brothers, if anyone's caught in a transgression, love them enough to get in there and help them out of it. You who are spiritual should restore him. The word restore, Galatians 6.1, that word restore in the Greek is, is the same word that came from uh, ancient Greek. Paul took it out of ancient Greek. And it's the word restore there in the Greek is, is resetting a bone that's broken. When a physician would reset a broken bone, he was, he was restoring it. Paul uses the same word. He says, love each other enough in the faith community that you will help restore each other. You'll reset a bone. Love each other enough to get in there and help, help each other. Help each other with a little bit of surgery that might be needed here and there, now and then. And so there's, there's different kinds of fights. Some fights are worth having. Some fights are, are not worth having. And so one fight that's worth having is a fight to assist people. Isaiah 117, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, Help the flood victims, help the hurricane victims, help people that are being displaced through, uh, 
through war and through famine and through terrorism. We're to help people. We're to plead the case of the widow. The New Testament echoes the same ethics all over again, so it's consistent, of course. That's a good fight. That's a good fight to have to help people, to defend people that, that need you to help them and to defend them. We're to engage life that way, and not just our fellow believer, but all people that could use our assistance. That's a great testimony to the world when Christians help, help people. Uh, another fight that's worth having is a, is a fight to finish well in your faith. The Apostle Paul was commenting on that. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know, that almost sounds poetic. It's just so kind of winsome. It's kind of snappy. But he really lived that. He really lived that. I was in Greece a year ago, and I visited some of the places that Paul preached, places he was imprisoned, places he traveled, and I got a whole new appreciation for this diminutive Jewish man who became a believer in the Messiah on the road to Damascus one day. And as he evangelized in what is now modern-day Greece, it took us minutes to get where he traveled days to get from here to there. And I just marveled at, this, at the places he went and he ministered to and, and the scorn and the, the pressure he took to, to speak a good word for Jesus. And I it just I fast forward to this verse that's on the screen and I think, you know, he took beatings and he took incarcerations, he took insults, he took so much, and yet, but he didn't give up on his faith. And at the end of his life, when he knew life was nearing the finish line, he said this, I fought the good fight. It's a fight, but I fought this good fight. I have finished this race and I've kept my faith. That's a fight worth having, is to finish well in your faith, to leave a legacy for those that will walk behind you someday, that it'll be on your tombstones. You know, she finished well. He followed the Lord till the end. He didn't walk away from his faith. That's, that's a good fight. Have that fight. Engage that fight. Don't stop that fight. But then there are fights, as we've already intimated today, that really aren't worth having. Uh, well, this one you have to have. I'll get to one that isn't a good one to have after this one. Fighting the war within. Galatians 5, where we were studying earlier this year, talks a lot about the battle within us, this war within, between our Christ-like new nature, led by the Holy Spirit, and our old nature, those two are in direct opposition with each other. Galatians 5.17. Be aware of that fight. Don't quit engaging that fight. When you're looking at something on the internet and you're tempted to take another step further to something else that you know might not be appropriate, you feel the war within. And you need to just click away. You need to move away. And you're looking at a magazine and you say, you know what, this isn't taking me anywhere good. Maybe I should close this one. You've got to make these split-second decisions all the time, watching something, hearing something. If you're going to engage that war within and win, don't live by the old nature. If we live under the Spirit's guidance, we're going to say no to a lot of things, and we're going to fight that war within. So that's a fight that is worth having. And this next one, though, is not so great, fighting with others. Again, I don't suggest we never have disagreements or frustrations because that's not realistic, and the Bible doesn't say that. But if love is not in the equation, we're in a bad place. We're to speak the truth to each other in love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But look what happens if we fail to love. If we fail to live under the Spirit's guidance, His enabling guidance to live a life of love. Well, what happens? We bite and devour one another. And he says, if you do this, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We can do a lot of damage in here. We can do a lot of damage to the name of Christ. We can do a lot of damage to people we love if we are not careful to love. And if we just say, well, that's who I am. I'm a fighter. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell it like it is. Well, tell it like it is with love, right? Think biblically. Speak the truth with love, with gentleness. The truth is, we're going to disappoint each other. We're going to provoke each other at times. The truth is, every one of us is a sinner saved by grace. But sin has a domino effect. If I live with a sinful attitude in my life at home of just being self-focused, but I'm married, and I, have a, and I have a family, and I have people that need me. But if I'm just going to be about my hobbies, my interests, all the time, and nothing but that, and it's always my way or the highway, and it's what I want, that kind of a selfish spirit is going to sour other people. It's going to hurt them. Sin has a domino effect. My selfishness can contribute to other people's selfishness or to their indifference. You know that, right? Domino, boom, 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 boom. Take sin seriously in your life. Look at your weaknesses and say, Lord, help me not to keep... Help me to grow. Help me to change. Help me to not be this person where I'm weak right now because it's hurting others. It doesn't just hurt me. We all, we all will sin. You know, one of the most rewarding things as a, as a parent was the times when my kids would, wasn't very rewarding at the moment, but when I had to go to them as their father and say, you know, guys, dad lost his temper a bit with you today. I'm really sorry. I really blew that today. I'm sorry how I reacted about that situation that disappointed me. And they'd always look at me, and I could almost see the hurt evaporate. And they'd say, Dad, you always come to us. You always tell us, you know, hey, I'm sorry for this. And I didn't feel like I lost power or authority for being honest with them. I actually gained it. Because they already knew the truth, that their daddy's an imperfect person. And when he could simply admit that to them, they respected that. And we started over again. And we have a close relationship today. I thank the Lord for that as they grow into young adulthood. We need the humility, don't we, to be honest with our sins and our, our failures. That starts at home, but it also belongs in the church. We need to be honest with each other. I'm not going to stand up here and say, boy, I'm the, I'm the best pastor you'll ever get. Boy, if I ever say that, get rid of me, right? Because that's, <laughs> that's pride. That's something else. I know better than that. Look at my life long enough. You're going to see a few warts. I suppose I could say the same thing about you. <laughs> but I'm going to love you through your warts. I hope you love me through mine. And I hope that our, our goal is the same thing, to grow up in Jesus Christ and to help each other along because we need each other. We need to love each other enough to, to, to work through struggles and disappointments with one another. Two extremes to avoid when it comes to this thing of, of, uh, of the sin issue is perfectionism. You probably haven't met anybody like this. I hope you haven't, but I have. People, and there aren't many like this, but I know some folks who say that they no longer sin. They've just arrived somehow. They contend that the sinful nature has been conquered in this life and it no longer affects them. They've either lost sight, they have lost sight of the fact that there is still a war to be waged against sin every day. Don't kid yourself and think, I'm not calling you a failure, I would not say that, but we can fail in our understanding of sin. We fail, friends. We miss the mark. Even though we are believers, who of us has a perfect day in everything, in thought, word, and deed? I don't have a perfect day in any of those areas. And we just, let's be honest with this. We need grace. We need accountability. We need the word. We need help. We need God's spirit, or we're going to just break apart. We're not going to live a very victorious life. Well, the other extreme is pessimism. Pessimists are those who are half-hearted in battling the old nature, which Paul has talked about in Galatians 5, because they never expect victory. It's like they're so tired of, of losing, of, of, of losing ground in an area of defeat, that they've lost sight of the victory that Christ has won for them, which is experienced by actively identifying with Christ crucified. 
remembering that Jesus died for this sin that keeps besetting me. He, I keep, maybe if I'm in a habitual sin, I need to realize, Jesus, you died for that sin. Your power is enough for me to overcome it. Help me not to have a half-hearted attitude, like, oh, I'm just never going to get rid of this problem. I'll never give this habit up. Don't, don't live like that as a pessimist with, with your, your sinful nature. Fight the good fight. And then help others, right? Again, Galatians 6, 1 through 5 is a, is a textbook example of what a life that's under the Spirit's guidance looks like. If you say, I don't know how to walk in the Spirit, well, here's how you have see evidence of it. You're going to help other people who are caught in their difficulties. Instead of running away from people's problems, you'll run to them. You'll say, I want to help you with something here, my friend. Those are hard conversations to have sometimes, aren't they? Galatians 6.1 Brethren's, brethren, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Easy to run away. Years and years ago, I remember meeting with an, a man a lot older than me who had a real problem with fidelity in his marriage. And as a single guy, what did I have to tell anybody about marriage at that point? But he was my brother in Christ, and I felt the Lord burden me to talk to him about that issue. I've actually had that happen to me more than once in my single days. That's pretty tough stuff to go talk to people about. But, but with humility, with gentleness, it can go pretty well. And, and one of those men I talked to, he wept. He said, I can see how much you care about my struggle, about my problem here. And that blessed me that even though he may or may not change what happened, he knows I love him, he knows I care about him, he knows Christ cares for him. He's not giving up on himself anymore. He's not making himself dirt, thinking, you know, it's just being full of shame. We've got to go. We've got to go. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. But if we're under the, under the control of the Spirit, He's going to send us into some difficult places. And we need to go with a spirit of gentleness and restore people, reset the broken bone, at least attempt to. And any believer can do that work if we go with the right heart attitude. But the Scripture says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And when we counsel here at, at First Baptist Church, we, we're pretty careful we don't generally counsel with members of the opposite sex unless we have another person in the room or we're out in a public area. Why do we do that? We don't trust ourselves? We just don't trust human nature. We're fallen people. And, and, and pastors, in, among anybody, can get in, into a lot of trouble if they're not wise with, with trying to help people. We can wind up pulling ourselves into a problem that we can't get out of very easily. We've all got some stories to share on that, don't we? So you need to be careful. Burden-bearing and sharing calls for gentleness versus harshness. We've seen that plainly stated in the text. It involves self-evaluation, as I just mentioned, really. Watch yourself, or you may be tempted. As you go to help your brother or your sister, be careful you don't get caught into their things that they're struggling with. That's, that's easier said than done, but be careful. And then we're to carry each other's burdens, as it, as it goes on to say. And we will fulfill the law of Christ, which is, what is the law of Christ? It's the law of love. And if anyone thinks that they're too good for that, to help somebody in a struggle, they're, just, they're self-deceived, Paul says. They're conceited. They're not showing humility. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. And so, burden-bearing and sharing calls us to, to have a healthy place for pride in what we're supposed to do. Look at verse 4 again. Let each one test his own work. In other words, look at your life responsibilities and tend to those. Don't worry about your neighbor unless he needs you and you need to share his burden or he's in a struggle and you need to help unentangle, disentangle him. But do your job. Test your own work. Then your reason to boast will be in yourself alone and not in your neighbor. 
And then again, verse 5, for each one will bear his own load. We're to test our own actions. We're to focus on what we're called to do. We, we want to be problem solvers, but not getting into everybody's business, you know, either. I can't fix some of the issues that, that I know exist in this church. I can tell other people, I think you have a responsibility here. I think you should talk to this person. I think you should do that. But it's not my job to get in between in every situation and disentangle it. It's to give godly counsel, godly advice, and to focus my job on my job. And so we just have to be careful with this, that we don't become problem solvers for everybody. At the same time, we do need to help people to aspire to do the right thing. We cannot do everything, but each of us can do something. I want to close with an Old Testament quote. There was an irresponsible young man by the name of Cain. And Cain, instead of loving his blood brother, out of jealousy and envy, he murdered him. And then when the Lord in heaven held him to account, Cain looked up to heavens and he said, Am I my brother's keeper? What an irresponsible question. Because the answer is, yes, you are. Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 5 is the best New Testament challenge or picture, really, and challenge of that Old Testament story. Paul says to us through this text today, you are your sister's keeper. You are your brother's keeper. Don't neglect that. Engage your life with him. Engage your lives with one another in love, in gentleness, in truth, with love. We are our brother's keepers here. Oh, friends, let's grow a church that really shows that, that we love each other along the path. We don't give up on ourselves. We don't give up on each other. We work together. We stay true to this word, and God will be so honored. Lord God, help us this day to freshly apply the words of Scripture. There's nothing I've said that's worth listening to today unless it came from that. And so, Lord, I just pray that the Scripture will really guide our thinking that we will just be clear about this and see our need to grow and go in love and living under the Spirit's guidance and, and, and obeying you, helping people get untangled from challenges and, and bearing each other's burdens, fulfilling the law of Christ, focusing on our own work, our own responsibilities to the glory of God and not on our neighbor's work or his responsibilities. Thank you for this church and the privilege it is to serve these people. God, would you bless them in this new week as they go back to jobs and life and studies and school. Uh, to rest, whatever's ahead. Would you bless your people, Lord? Richly bless them and help us to love them and, and care for them as their under-shepherds, your under-shepherds, and to serve you and to serve them all the days you give us. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, thanks for bearing with me as I took you a little over today. <laughs> <laughs>